0: My life is still the same. I still have same struggles and weaknesses. I'm still the same human in a lot of ways. (laughs) I still feel a lot of the same things, think the same ways, but my perspective is very different. And that's, you know, that's what happened to me.
1: I turned 50, y'all, and I started a podcast.
0: Really, age is just a number. It comes down to how we choose to live and the
1: choices we make in our life, and those things accumulate. Don't let the programming of life keep you from doing things every single day that, that make you happy.
0: When we feel good, it's easy to think
1: good. Life is not happening to you. You are your life. You are happening to your life. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. In this episode, I speak with my new friend, Jen Child. Jen has been married for over 21 years to Ben, and she's the mama to three boys, Rafe 20, Sear 18, and Finn 14. She has a 23-year career behind the stylist chair as a master stylist. She retired in 2022 after a traumatic family trip to Mexico, in which generation generated a major shift in her life. Her passion is to shift distorted perspectives using stick theory. Her ultimate goal is to help people fine-tune physically, spiritually, and emotionally in that order to achieve simple, happy living. She has no filter. She's a hardcore empath. And she loves humans. And I hope you enjoy this uh, conversation with the Gen Child. So I'm so I'm so grateful that you're taking the time um to do this recording with me. And it's I'm been so nice. Be and it's been so nice getting to know you over the last couple conversations. And um, you know, I'm really interested for you to be able to tell your story because I think, you know, from talking to you and learning about you, you're in a really pivotal point in your life. And I just think your story and kind of where you're, where you've come from and where you're going is very powerful. Thank you. And um, I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that you have the ability to make a big impact. Have a big impact. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So, So that's my dream and desire. So, you know, let's get started. Let's
1: get started. So Jen, why don't you start with telling us a little bit about where you were, let's say three years ago, how your life was, tell us about your family, what you were up to, what, how you were spending your days and what what your outlook was, was like. Just take us back.
0: Okay, perfect. I'm going to go about um three to four years back because i think that's going to be a little bit easier for me so let's see that would have been about um a year before mexico the mexico traumatic event happened We were still living in Austin, Texas. My family and I, I'm Texan, and uh, my roots are still down there, and um, uh, we decided to take our boys down to Texas for about three years and live down there, and right before we moved back, that would have been about four years ago, and so moving back, we moved back because we had these three awesome boys. We had a great time in Texas uh learned a little bit about my growing up, and then, you know, coming back home, it was great to be here in Utah, and at the time, I would say it was a pretty big shifting um, part of my life. My older boys were turning into teenagers, and I still had a younger, a third younger child after him that was had a bit of a four-year gap, and uh, my marriage was struggling about four, year, four years ago. My marriage was struggling probably the worst it's ever struggled and on top of it I was trying to be a mom to two teenage kids and and a younger child and it was just like for me a lot you know and um I found myself kind of feeling like I was drowning a little bit we all we all know the same like keeping your nose above water I was kind of feeling that way. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, it was really more uh, rotten in myself. I didn't like who I was. I didn't like how I was behaving, responding, communicating. Um, I didn't like the mom I was trying to be. It just wasn't, nothing was really working for me, to be honest with you. And so we decided to, you know, uh, move back home to Utah and where we had kept our home. And we asked the kids individually, they all said, Yes. And we are happy to be here. We love living here in Utah. Um, I'm not happy that it's still winter here, by the way, it's actually currently snowing outside (laughs) anyways. Um, and so we moved back to Utah, um, in the home that we built 20 years ago and, uh, and here we are. And so since, since then being Mexico, the pivotal point, I would say that it's just been a whole new life. And, um, since then my kids have graduated. I have one, um, Head off to college and one moving out, so yeah, a lot of shifting, so then Mexico happened that was our last family trip you know so before you before you get
1: to the the Mexico incident okay. that you're going to share with us, can you tell me a little bit more about you know you said you didn't necessarily like your reactions, your responses, mm-hmm. nothing felt like it was going the way you needed or wanted it to go. Can you mm-hmm. give me some examples of the your outlook, the way you looked at the world, and what were you doing? What what what's your career? What was your day to day like? How how yes. was your life? Okay,
0: so at, I also at the time had been hairstylist of eighteen years, um, le- had a great career. Was working uh, here and also in Texas, and um, life was good in that compartment. My 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 career was always a an, an upscale, so I was very blessed in that way, and our home. Our home was, was good. It's, we, we have a very raw, open, communicated home, but I am a, fa- a female in a family full of males. And so that just probably sets you up a lot in the dynamics of my life and family, because when I say the way I'm communicating, I'm always the one that was feeling things. I didn't know how to process those without being overwhelming. Um, I kind of was a sore thumb in the family. And I was trying to hyper-focus on my children and the stages they were going in and trying to take control of all that, which let's be honest to the parents out there, at the end of the day, you have no control. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's something that has helped me change. We'll get to that later, but that perspective has helped me change. But just, it's almost like I was trying so hard in my personal life to make everything that my childhood wasn't. And I was almost creating a bubble that was going to burst, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and my, like I say, my marriage was struggling. We had lost, um, trust within each other. We had ultimate levels of resentment, um, mm-hmm. uh, parenting. We had the same goals, but we go about those goals a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, the good thing about my marriage though, is I have to say, is that we never fight over like finances and sex and beliefs. So that part was good, but you know, You know, in relationship, the small things are the ones that just kind of keep on coming back and biting at you a little bit. And so there was just a lot of that, you know, and we decided moving back home to Utah since we have so much family here. The kids have 15 cousins just in their school districts here in the neighborhood all together. Some have graduated, some are coming in, but nonetheless, lots of support here. And that was really good for us because we needed that. Not knowing what was about to happen, <laughs> mm. you know? So I was, I was in a good place in my career. Um We've always had a really good life. We love where we live. We love our community, but inside our home, like everybody's, it was just kind of um, festering. Mm-hmm. And Ben and I, we don't, our biggest struggle, my husband and I, uh, we just do not have the best communication. So something we're currently working on big time. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Very good.
0: So yeah, said- that was kind of what we were going through. <laughs> So, and
1: then you've shared with me over the past couple conversations that you had a a life-changing event that happened to your family that kind of changed your perspective and kind of everything. And if you wouldn't mind sharing what you're comfortable with and your story of of what happened to your family.
0: Um, It is a a probably a couple hour long story, so I'll wrap it up in a nutshell. And I think I told you this the other day, Um, we love talking about it. Um, there's a couple of sacred moments that I don't talk about. Um, but there's most of it I do talk about and, and, and to make something very important is that my experience is different than my husband's because we were separated for six of the seven days. So, uh, we were together in the same jail for about 30 hours. Um, and then we all got separated. So, um, October, 2020, beginning of COVID, we had already canceled one trip to Hawaii. We were having our oldest son graduate that year. And we decided to go to Hawaii and, uh, you know, celebrate him as a family. Um, because instead of sending him on a senior trip, we, we take him on one as a family. That's just kind of like our so long. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we were really excited and COVID canceled that. And, um, so we, you know, got our money back, what have you, and waited a little bit long until we thought COVID was settle down and it didn't. And so we like, we thought, you know what, we'll go ahead and just maybe hit up Mexico. And we had some great friends that live up here in Utah, um, by us and they go down to this area all the time, and the family that was down there with us actually are natives of Mexico. They are um, blonde-haired, blue-eyed natives of Mexico, and they live there, and so they understand it. And so we decided to go down, and uh, we also at the time had let our children know that this would be our last family trip, that this is the last trip we would take as a family. We would be coming home to separate, and so we had decided just to put our happy hats on and get down there and have fun. I and
1: see- so
0: we did. We I'm sorry
1: to interrupt you, but did you mean separate you and your husband were going to separate?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah, so we had discussed that our marriage had gotten to a point that it was time just to think about the children and to move on. Mm-hmm. That wow. was about uh, a little, a little, I think about 18 years into our marriage, been 18 years into our marriage, you know, and honestly, it's not because I'm a bad person or my husband's a bad person or that we're vindictive or, you know, it's just relationships are hard. I mean, let's yeah. just keep it simple. Relationships are hard, and the good news is that we have willing hearts, but yeah, that was our last family trip, and we felt that was the best. And to be honest with you, we were fighting the whole way down. this is part of the funniest parts about it. We were fighting the whole way down because we drove down there. Remember, we drove down there, so <laughs> we were fighting the whole way down, so bad that at one point, about an hour and a half into the ride, it's about a, it would have been about a 14-hour drive from where we are. So Las Vegas was our central central post. And uh, we were fighting so bad. I asked him to pull over to, the, to a gas station. I was crying. The kids are all got their headphones in. Someone's crying. Ben's not talking. <laughs> and I, I said, I need to go to the restroom. He's like, you don't need to go to the restroom because of course it's only been like an hour and a half. And I was like, I need to go to the restroom. And I bought a plane ticket. And I bought a plane ticket. And I tell myself, when we get to Vegas, which was our stopping point or our halfway point, I'm going to wait till everybody falls asleep and I'm going to Uber home. I'm not going to go on this trip. I didn't want to anyways, and I wasn't going to go put my child through his last trip with us fighting like that. I just wasn't going to do it, and I'm sure Ben would have woke up happy as a lark at the time, <laughs> so good thing is our marriage has gotten better from there, but um, so we get down there, uh, we get to Vegas, we sleep over, we make mends, <laughs> and we wake up next morning, and we make a deal that we have a seven-hour drive, and that we're going to um, just chill. Let's just focus on the kids. So we get there. So about six o'clock at night, we pull across the border, um, right outside. It would be about three hours south of Phoenix down in Rocky Point, Mexico. And we, um, I mean, I could tell you an hour worth of things that happened to me between Phoenix and that border on the American side that were obvious, like I felt them at the moment. I just didn't, I'd never experienced them, so I didn't know how to pick up on them. Sign after sign that was confirmed with me, you know, for the next five days from my politicians on our side that these are what they do and you did all of them. For example, getting gas at the gas station before we leave and, um, People in the parking lot talking to you and jamming out, just standing in the middle of the gas station parking lot, kind of looking at what you got and who you have, not in the right place. And and I, I had gotten a belly feeling. And anyways, we, we got our gas and, you know, we're driving down in my husband's brand new truck. We just, we just barely bought this truck and it's full of five golf clubs. You know, members or five people's golf clubs. You know, we all had our golf clubs down there. We have a cooler full of food for a week. I feed boys, y'all. I'm three boys. We're just like we're packed, like we're family, right? And get our gas, and on we go. And you know, the last thing my kids said was, "Mom, why do you think they would name a town Why? Because we were in Why, Arizona." And I said, and my husband said, "Because why would anybody want to leave the United States of America?" <laughs> and we just buzzed up laughing. Okay, so we're so we're trotting on down to the border, and we're we're in line and. And, uh, um, before the border, there is a sign before the, the wall on the border. And let me just set this up for you. You're going to, you're going to drive past the wall and then you're going to drive underneath the pavilion of the, you know, uh, border buildings, offices, you know, all that stuff. And then for about, you know, 50 yards and then you'll go on about your way. Okay. And so anyways, we pull up and there was a sign that said, no, no firearms allowed. And uh, we are firearm carriers we take it very serious we do believe that those laws are important and need to be adjusted we keep ours in our safe we take classes we understand how dangerous they are but this particular one like it should be was in a safe that only my husband and i have the combination to built into the frame of our truck which has always been in that way it's not under our seat wasn't on our waist even though we could and we would have never, but we honestly just didn't think about it. We're on road trips all the time with that and that safe. We've never taken it out. So, you know, naturally you're just gonna kind of be like, well, you're not gonna throw it out the window. There's a an officer with a machine gun patrolling. You're barricaded, you can't turn around. So we're just gonna be all the honest people we are and we're gonna go and we're just gonna, it's my grandfather's pistol that I inherited, but we're gonna give it up. So we we cross the border. And when you cross the border, you get a red light or a green light. And the cool thing is we got a green light. We couldn't believe it. We, we knew that was there. We just knew we were going to be honest. And so we just thought maybe God gave us a green light. We don't know. We, we, we don't know. But what did happen is about two seconds later, before we could even get any further, an officer did stop in front of our car like this. (laughs) And, um asked this, um, and my husband, my husband speaks fluent in Spanish and I understand enough to get by, but I asked my husband, uh, do you have a gun on you? And my husband says, no. And he says, we show you have a gun in this car. And he says, I do I have a gun in the safe of my truck, but it's not on my body. And, um, so they said, okay, go ahead and step out of the car. And he's like, they said, unlock the safe. So we did, of course we unlocked it uh, women and children on this side, please. Um, so they put me and my children, um, with two officers and machine guns on the curb. Um, I was not allowed to grab anything. I did eventually get my phone out of the car because, and my purse, because I was like, it had my kids' passports in it. And I was like, oh no. oh no. So I was able to get that out, but I just minded my business and stayed on the curb. They pulled my husband to the back of the truck, interrogated him long enough for the border to close. And one of the funniest things that happened during this moment is that I'm at the front of my car or of our truck. I'm on the curb and a young boy about the age of, this has been about an hour of us sitting on the curb and, and we have state police, um, the border shut down. It's pitch black. We're not able to go back out. That's actually legally what they should have done is turned you around. That's the legal thing. If you give your firearm up, they should turn you around and jump. Um, we have all federal, state, and local officers all taking pictures of our truck, all doors open. My husband's in the back of the truck, you know, behind the bed of the truck, standing, talking to officers. They've compensated the gun. Great, whatever. Um, I can hear them. I can hear my husband's getting frustrated, which is really shocking because he's not, he's not, he's kind of like a giant, a giant, a gentle giant. He doesn't get frustrated unless you push it, which is a little too far. And I can tell he's getting emotional. And in the minute, and within like a couple like minutes, if I can tell he's getting frustrated, a young boy walks up with this big bundle in his arm. Like a a bundle, like a like a carry-on bundle type thing. And they open it up and it's a flag of the country of Mexico that they put over the front of my husband's brand new Ford F three fifty, the biggest truck you can possibly buy. And they take turns with their masks on, with their cell phones, passing it from the federal to the local to the um um uh, state. You know, police taking pictures of their cell phones, celebrating, standing up on the um, footboards and the tires going like this. <laughs> and we are just like, we don't even, I'm laughing now because we were just like, I mean, looking back on it, it's just insane. Anyways, finally, um, I asked, I can tell my husband's pretty upset. And so, and it had been an hour and a half and the is closed. And I know one thing is we're not going home. So I asked my boys to share the locations with our grandparents and also with our friends who are already down at the resort we were supposed to be at. And they were actually waiting and making guests dinner. And so I, I asked to speak to my husband and I went back there and then immediately turned to me and said, Jen, you need to go. You're going to go to jail tonight. And I'm going to go to jail tonight. And Rafe, our oldest child, because he was over the age of 18, will be going to jail tonight. And the other two, they're going to go to foster care in Mexico. Unless you have somebody to come and grab your children. And by the grace of God, if there could have been a bigger blessing than to have known that I had friends forty-seven minutes away from where I was, I was so grateful. So I called, and uh, they thought I was joking about what was happening. But at this point, they placed my husband handcuffed, foot and ankle in the back of a streetcar, pitch black, and off the road they go. And I'm stuck with my truck and my children at a closed border in Mexico with. Um, Our officer, excuse me, officers surrounding us, not knowing what's going to happen next. So they put us in the back of my truck. We drive down the road, uh, very silent, if you will, uh, very controlled. We were going about 90 miles per hour, just me and my children. I don't know if I'm going to probably see Ben ever again. And we finally end up at what, um, about after 20 minutes, I was a home, I thought, but ended up being the uh, jail. They said it was the nice jail, the nicer jail. So after not pulling myself together very well. I'm probably in somewhat of shock because it's literally one of my biggest nightmares is for something to happen like that. Cause we all hear those stories mm-hmm. and, and to just to hear the word foster care and to know that they, I have children and they're going to put me in a, in, in a one jail and my husband and my child in another jail. And then what's my other children, where are they going? It just wasn't a, an, an, it was a really overwhelming experience in a moment at the time. So, um, They put us in jail. They put me in jail with some other women. Uh, They put my husband and my son in a jail cell. It was probably one of the most horrific things I've ever seen with feces. um, Everywhere. Uh, 10 by 10, no light, no fan, no window. Um, Spiders. You laid on spiders, let's put it that way. Um, Fortunately, I was in a room uh, where they kept a, a safe that they ended up pulling out like um, a whole crate of cocaine in front of me and weighed it. And it was it would have been like around two and a half million dollars of cocaine that they actually just registered right in front of me in my jail area. Anyways, the rule was, they said, is that we had 30 hours in jail. And then after 30 hours in jail, they would be transferring my husband to seven hours south to the capital to be tried on a federal level. And in the meantime... You have about thirty minutes for your children to be picked up, or they go to foster care. So we had a really uh, terrible experience. Our dear friends left; the husband left to come get my children because he knew this was serious, and he got a flat tire. And so uh, it wasn't allowing me. Well, it would have taken them way longer than forty-five minutes <laughs> to get there, but it sure wasn't allowing me thirty minutes. So we were able to pay ransom after ransom. Um, fortunately. We had um, a dear human being bring down some cash for us because we were not able, they took all of our passports and our IDs and our credit cards and our phones. <laughs> so I had no access to what I had. And um, you can't even get cash in the country of Mexico in the first place unless you're a legal citizen. So not really much luck there anyways. Even if you go to a restaurant Union, you have to have a legal, a legal license in the, state, in the country of Mexico. And address, I mean. So anyway, so... What we did is we, we waited about, They finally my children were picked up. I said goodbye.
1: And, and how old were uh, your two children, the ones that were picked up? Um,
0: they were at the time 12 and 15, 14. And my middle boy, I found out later, took it apart just because he, um, we were able to sneak him in my husband's wallet. And he had promised his brother that night that um, if they got back to the condo that he would most likely drop out of high school and raise him. So such a sweet point to say that. And all along my oldest child being put in jail for the first time with his, with his dad, I guess must've been a good thing. (laughs) I was pretty scared because I was around, there was a lot of men around me and these three women. So anyways, uh, we tried to, I said my goodbyes to my children because I wasn't for sure if someone was just going to make a phone call and say, Hey, American children left the jail, pull them over. I mean, anything goes there anything goes, it doesn't matter. And so I waited, uh, excruciating about 17 hours to hear if my children made it back there all along being in jail for the first time in my life. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, so I think I had like an outer body experience during those 17 hours because what happened is finally our friends came back, um, and reported to me that they made it. And he came back to negotiate because he's actually born and raised in Mexico and just in the state away. And his parents still live there. And so he's very familiar with how this goes. He has been kidnapped. He understands it totally. Um, like I said, he was a, he's a native. He was born and raised. Parents still live there, dual citizenship. So we were very comfortable down there with him. And we're still really good friends, by the way, with him. They're like our heroes in life. But anyways, so... Um, After uh, about seventeen hours, our dear friend was able to come and report to me that they made made it back and the kids are fine, and that he's going to start negotiating with um, the politicians on what they can do to release me and my oldest child. Because no matter what, they've already warned that the truck is gone. They seized the truck, so we never saw that again. That's another two-hour story. Um, We still pay. Fortunately, I mean, fortunately, we have the means. We still pay on that because we chose to drive down there in it. And so we feel obligated, but anyways. And uh, so that was gone. And then, so they, they charged me an extra about three to $500. I believe if I'm right, I could be wrong to wait a little bit longer for my children to be, children to be picked up. And also if I asked and begged and pleaded, if we could empty my truck with our belongings so that my children had what they needed, their food and their things. I don't know when I'll see them again, just let them have their suitcases. So they're really nice let us do that. And then after about 17 hours, our friend came back and reported that he'll start delegating for or trying to debate and compromise what's what they'll do and how much it'll cost to get me out. And it ended up being about $5,000 for my husband, my son and I to get out. I offered him quite a bit more than that for my husband. And uh, that was an absolute deny, like the big red stamp. So um, they gave me a couple of minutes to say goodbye to Ben. And I gave my son some time. You know, he's not a kid. He's an adult. And, um, that was tough. That was tough. That was tough saying goodbye to him. I didn't think I was going to get a, I didn't think I was get a body back on that one. I had my children. Thank God. Ben would have rather it been less than him, you know, but like, no, that wasn't fun. So they were supposed to be taking him seven hours south, on, that was Sunday morning, I'm sorry, that was Saturday evening is when I finally got out of jail. So that was Friday night when we arrived, or Friday afternoon we arrived and I got out late Saturday night. Um, And then uh, my children and I, we returned back to America the next morning immediately. In fact, all of us did, both parties. And I was informed that my son was, or my husband was granted a lawyer, which he was, I met him, and that he'd be transferred um, by police uh, down to uh, the Capitol where he'd be tried on a federal level. And um, yeah, that was that was tough thing about to him on that one. And um, I didn't know what was going to be the outcome of that. So they were supposed to take him down on Monday morning. Uh, I directly went right back to Scottsdale and stayed with some dear friends of mine and housed me for a couple of days because I I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave. And and remember, I have all my belongings, so I got to rent a car to go back home because I don't have a car anymore. I don't even have a car. I just have my cooler and my suitcases and my golf clubs and no husband. And uh, so I'm staying at my dear friend's house, and making phone calls, just back and forth and back and forth. Got connected with some great politicians here: um, Senator, you know, Mitt Romney, Senator Mike Lee, uh, the amazing human Tim Ballard, um, who, you know, started the Underground Rescue Railroad. Um, I had them all on my side here, um, and so I felt supported. But I did not have my husband, and uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. So I stayed in Scottsdale for a couple of days. And found out that he was actually transferred on Sunday morning, which would have been a really red, really big red flag had I known what was going on. But I was so happy they transferred him down there earlier. We'll get him home earlier. No big deal. And I didn't know that until um, a day later I got a phone call from Ben and his lawyer down there. And they asked me to send him a package, which I was able to get down to him by Tuesday afternoon. And it was a package that I put like his laptop charged and his cell phone. I got all that stuff back from the jail and his credit cards. And I, I took pictures of him and sent him to his phone and powered his phone off and sent food because he hasn't had any food or a clothing change. It's three, four days now. They've transferred him down in the back of a of a car with all that cocaine and that they, that they were checking down on the federal level as well. I mean, it, it's just like, there are... Joanna, there are so many details. This is probably sounding not very making good sense, but I'm giving you like the video's outline. So finally, after two days, Ben receives, by the grace of God, my package that we paid a runner $80 to drive seven hours north to the American side in Arizona where my package got mailed to from Scottsdale. And then he drove it back across the border another seven hours to my husband and he got it early Wednesday morning. I got a FaceTime from my husband. <laughs> yeah, hmm. it was it was um it was awesome to
1: <laughs> so finally see I, him. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I got to see him. I heard his voice, but I got to see him. And at this point, I have been warned immensely that this is not good, that there, my politicians have prepared me. And my news is 3 weeks before the largest political campaign in the nation's history so I can't say names I can't talk about my politicians I can't say that we're having mob politicians working with the Mex- vice president of Mexico on a cell phone basis I can't say these things I can't tell family members I can't reach out to a church organization I can't I have to deal with this by myself while my kids are on fall break in <laughs> Amazon. <Animous. laughs> so anyways um I finally get back home and, um, we start negotiating because the rule is at this point is that I have till Friday to get my husband another $5,000 cash, or he does go to federal prison. They already put him in there. They drove him down there. They put him in front of a federal judge on a Sunday, which would have been my biggest red flag, my second biggest red flag. Not only like they transfer him down, but then they went ahead and, you know, tried him like in a, in a courtroom with a mallet, like court case. Case closed. Like, they actually had, like, prosecutors, a judge. They stood up for him. Like, a real full-on court case on a federal level in a federal building. Why did they do that on a Sunday? And Because you don't do those things on a Sunday unless you're doing something illegal.
1: Right. That's why.
0: (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Nowhere in this world tries on any federal level on a Sunday, my friend, that I am Mm -hmm. ever aware of. You know, and so that would have been our second huge flood, red flag. But at this point, we're just so glad that we can stay on the phone. And and by the way, in the meantime, my husband getting a package, he was able to call me from a landline because they put him in a hotel. They said you can stay in this hotel room, and you can go outside this hotel room. After this is after they tried him in a federal court on a Sunday, put him in a prison for three hours just to give him a little taste test. He said it was the darkest place he's ever been in his life. Then they took him to dinner. The, his lawyer did pay for it. So nice. Cause my husband didn't have any money. He's going to have his, he they gave me his passport knowing that they weren't going to let him back out of that country. Cause you can't come out of a country without a passport. You can't go in and you can't come out. And I didn't know that I was so happy. They gave me that. I mailed it back down to him though in the package. They didn't know that anyways. So he can stay in a hotel room and you can call him on this landline. <laughs> so I got to communicate all the things I had been learning for days on a landline to him. While there's a car out in the parking lot that doesn't leave with two men in it, every time he goes across the street, uh, the jail, the 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 hotel he was in was across the street from the federal courthouse, and it was by kind of like a strip mall underneath a a freeway, and so he could walk across the street there. And everywhere he went, he was recorded. But we didn't really start picking up on all this until we realized we couldn't get cash into Mexico. And I mean, girl, we tried. I was about to have someone drive it down there. Like we like, yeah. well, that ultimately is that's what ultimately happened is I had to yeah. drive it down there. because you can't get there. We were having friends from Texas that were going to drive it down. Like we just couldn't get it down there. And they, they were going to put him back in prison. And Ben was, I'll say this respectfully, because not many men would, you know, probably want this repeated, but I've never seen my husband so emotional and so humbled and pretty much saying, make sure I don't go back there. Make sure I don't go back to that federal prison. I need that $5,000 down here right now like i need them so we my our marriage is still troubled we're not getting along we were even hanging up on each other at this point sometimes we're still so we're we're, we're fighting because the, my politicians here said you keep him on the phone 24 hours so the only time i got off the phone with him is if i would text his mother which included his father Cause they're, you know, together or his brother or my dad is who he wanted to talk to. And so I would say, okay, you have from this, this time So we would always, and then they would let me know when they were off the phone. So we kept him on the phone because we were warned that he could be transferred at any time and he could be, um, held in the room and being told what to say. And so our politicians actually got a hold of Ben and were able to give him some passwords and some code words that they shared with me. So that any point that Ben and I were communicating, and I didn't have them on the line as well, that he would say that. And that would be my code. Like, that means Ben's in trouble. Like, as of now, he's in a hotel room. He's able to get food. We're seeing each other. So I'm okay. Kind of, at this point. (laughs) So how many days has
1: it been since you guys were separated at the border on that Friday night? So
0: we're five days in right now. We're five well well, including that I was in jail with him, but I wasn't but from the time they put us in jail, we're we're about four five and a half days. five days in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Five days in, yeah. Yep. So Ben and I are just trying to get some cash down there. Not a dang thing is working. Um so we Man, let me let me take a minute and think about where it would be a good point to shift here because this is where it gets a little confusing. We had so many angels come in that um, one of them, God bless him. Actually, I feel bad because he reached out to me. He was our journey, our ten our attorney general's assistant here in Utah. He was his assistant, and he's a native of Mexico and has done many missions down there, picking out Americans. And he had heard about me because his assistant got her hair done at my salon and heard about my story. And I won't say his name, because I don't know if it's proper, but he had reached out to me all throughout the week. And at the time I was having so many people come at me that the politicians that were helping me said, Jen, you got to tighten your circle. You will make unwise decisions if you don't pull it, pull it within a ball. And the only people you're going to talk to is just us and Ben. That's it. So this guy, this gentleman, this hero, this guy kept saying listen to me listen to me your husband's not coming home and i finally had to say please stop contacting me i can't bear your conversations anymore i have help i'm doing what i know is best and you are giving i, I literally remember telling him, you're giving me anxiety i can't take this oh my God. <laughs> okay the night before we took ben out of mexico by hand because that was the only we were trying to get private jets down there from our politicians, but they couldn't use their names at the time. It would have affected them during the political time of our nation. I couldn't put myself down there. I couldn't, I didn't ask a family member or anybody because who wants more people to take chances in their lives. And I didn't know what to do. And I didn't want anybody's responsibility on me. I could barely bear my own husband's. And so I finally disregard this guy and asked him to please stop contacting me. And what had happened is Thursday evening, we got Ben early Friday in the morning around three a.m. off the sidewalk in Mexico. Um, and I'll say we—I'll tell you who my hero is here in a minute because I sure didn't. Um, but we um, on Thursday evening, Ben and I were talking. We're we're at our pretty much our wits end because our only option to get that cash down there. And I only have nine hours at this point to get it to them. Okay. Cause it has to be by nine o'clock Friday morning. And I live in Utah and I don't know how to get cash on there within like 12 hours. And I am, all my options are drained. I can't, I can't get it down there. And Ben, we're, we're rock bottom. And I, I said, um, you know, Ben at this point, um, I'm on the phone with him and we had made a decision that one of our only last results would be that our dear friend who remember was down there with us and who got me back across the border. He is a, um, not only a firefighter, but an impeccable human who is braver than I would ever be wow. offered time and time again, he would go down and get him. Which sounded wonderful. Cause I love brave men, but the problem is that he has a wife and children. And at this point, this is all such a bad, he's, he's even worried himself for my husband. He held it together really well for me. We've mentioned later on, Um, but he, you know, he's offering this. But I am—I'm thinking in my mind, like, what if we lose you too? Then I get to watch my loss, and um your family's loss. And so I actually asked his wife in person over Facetime, asked her to tell me, pretty much to my face, "Would you? Are you okay with this?" And again, I don't know. I—I I don't know if I would have said yes. I'm going to be honest, but they did, and we sent. Him down there. Um, the journey getting him down there was really terrible. Uh, our flight got canceled as we got to the airport. Um, my child had an accident where he cracked his entire cheek open down at the cheekbone. And this is all in a 30 minute moment. Um, I've also been confirmed where I will not be getting cash into Mexico in any way, shape, or form. And the money source that I was going to pick up said I would have to wait 24 hours. So this all happened in about a 30 minute window as I'm trying to get to the airport and meet a friend who's going to go down and pick up my husband on the side road. So nothing's working for me. I pull over on the side of the road. I have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> I don't know why or what I've done that something's so scary. It's not the worst thing in the world, but something's so scary. And everything in my life is just sinking on me. Like what is going on? I don't understand it. I'm literally so distraught. I cannot drive. I'm bouncing my head on the back of my car seat, asking God, literally, WTF is going on?
1: Mm.
0: I can't. I can't. No more for me. Like, coming off for a minute. And um, my phone rang. And it was not only my dear friend from high school. It was my hairstylist of my whole life. And she lives right down the street from where I had pulled over and gotten the news of my son as he was being taken to the emergency room. Angels all over around right now. By the way, you don't know how many things happen at this moment that angels just pick up where I couldn't be. And my hairstylist said, "Jen, how are you doing?" <laughs> I want to let you know we've never called each other once. I bet we've called each other since Mexico two or three times, but we do each other's hair every eight weeks, and I love her and she loves me, and we—that's what we are. We have that beautiful relationship. We know everything about each other, and she called me and said, "How was I?" And I, I, I said, "I need." $5,000 right now. Do you have any cash at your house? I just need $5,000. And she says, I have 10 in my safe, where are you? And so she came, she pulled it together with me. She held my hand. She let me take her little baby's diaper bag. I put the cash in there. I met my friend at the airport. We were able to, we were able to find another flight and delayed it about an hour. That's okay, we still would get him there before nine in the morning. I handed him five thousand dollars cash in the airport. I gave him a hug and a kiss on his cheek and told him, "I owe you for life, and please come home. Don't ever take your own life's chance. Come home, just come home if it's it's not worth you too and I just that was it, so it was a waiting game, so jumps on a plane he gets to Arizona about nine o'clock at night jumps in a car that uh, his dear friend um had offered him drove about another seven hours and would have arrived to ben my husband on the side of the road they had a plan uh, to execute him out um at about 3 15 in the morning is where it would have been and then they would have to drive back and uh pray to god not get caught because if you are a fugitive we had been warned by our politicians it would be a minimum of 10 years prison time so we were taking a huge chance so, Ben and I was on the phone and went with me, and we decided this was going to be it. And about that was about eight o'clock at night on Thursday night. And um, all of a sudden, five unmarked cars pulled up to the hotel that Ben was staying in. And um, that scared him. So he got off the phone with me and called his lawyer and said, Hey, who's coming to this hotel right now? Because he could call him about anything. And he worked with him really well. And he said, Oh, let me call the front desk and see who it is. And it was the attorney general of the state down there. And that attorney general, was called by my assistant attorney general here. He went behind my back, got a hold of the attorney general down there, who was a very trustworthy woman, who came to the hotel, pulled my husband aside with three cars full of bodyguards outside waiting for her, and said, Tell me what's going on. And so he told her, I mean, we had a stack of papers four inches thick of all the reports they handwritten, everything we did. We found out the reports were written wrong, that we, it said that we fought or that we didn't give up our gun in which we did. Like it just said all these lies. Like it was just one thing after another that wasn't true, you know? And, and one thing she asked was like to Ben, she said, did they not just offer to turn you around once you gave up the gun? And we were like, no, they put us right in jail. I mean, she just couldn't believe one thing after another. And here she is the attorney general down there. And uh, so that was really awesome. We told her, we told her our plan. She's the only person we told our plan to that we were going to execute him out in the night and that the money is coming down. And we also did make the mistake of telling our lawyer that the money was coming down, but not the friend, just the money. So he didn't know that we had an exit plan on top of the money, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, We just needed to get the money down there. And so she said, if you decide to leave, I have two bodyguards, cars full of bodyguards ready to follow you to the border. So... This was kind of scary because we had to go through a different border. We couldn't go through the one we went through. We had to go through a, a one that took about seven and a half hours to get out of. And um, so Ben and I said our goodbyes. I went with children up, let them say their goodbyes to their dad because this is the ultimate moment if <laughs> my husband's coming home. <laughs> and um, we said our goodbyes and we we said what we were sorry for and we said what we needed to say and that um, we'll see in a little bit. So he packed. He he packed his his suitcase up. That he or a little duffel bag, and uh, put on the clothes he came in on. He left everything else in the room besides his laptop, and he uh, said a prayer. And he said he walked outside the hotel room, went down in front of the desk where there was the front desk lady. My husband's six six four two thirty. He's a big boy. The front desk lady did as much not look up once. As my husband walked right in front of her, I think angels blinded her, blinded him, made him invisible. I don't know how, just in the next five seconds of what happens, I don't know how, one, he's alive and two, <laughs> yep, and he walks, he passes the hotel, he's going to go two blocks down the road to a catwalk where there's a bush and he will be next to that bush to be picked up on the side of the road. So his family's going to pick him up at the catwalk next to the bush, which is about two blocks down from the hotel room. A hotel he was staying at. Okay. And as he's walking down there, he passes a car, 3 a.m. in the morning, a truck, with about three men in the front in an empty dirt field, three or four men in the back, breaking glass, shooting guns in the air in the middle of the night, staring straight out as Ben walks no more further than 20 yards in front of them under a freeway-lit street. <laughs> and they didn't even see him he discharged to the bush hid calls our friend they're staying in touch with the phone our friend gets pulled over not for the first time but the third time for a little money side road ransom tells him he's picking his friend up to go fishing hands him some cash picks my husband up on the side of the road gets in the car they make a u-turn they go back less than five minutes later the same officer that just pulled him over pulls him over again, but this time my husband's in the car. And <laughs> he's he's a big boy. And that officer was so happy that we just gave him the money we did because it's probably the biggest paycheck he ever had. And then they, they said they were going fishing and they got they needed to turn around and on they went. It was just like one angel after another after another after another. You know what I mean? Like these are just there's blessings, tender mercies, and miracles, and they're very different and they happen for different reasons. I'd love to tell you that story one day. But got picked up we turned off our locations so that he wouldn't be followed. So I can't talk to Ben until he crosses the border. So I wait up, I wait up my kids, thank God are asleep. I wait up, I wait up. Time keeps going. It was, it was a little longer than we thought. And, um, and uh, then I, I, I got a phone, I got a phone call. I got a picture. (laughs) They crossed the border, but they had two been stopped at the border and, Their car had been confiscated. They'd been put in an interrogation room. They smooth talked their way out of that. I mean, I, I the story is, there's not enough time here to talk about it. But my point of saying all this is that, um, and I probably took up more time than we wanted to, but what it did for me is um, I had the same life. My life is still the same. I still have the same struggles and weaknesses. I'm still the same human in a lot of ways. (laughs) I still feel a lot of the same things, think the same ways, but my perspective is very different. And that's, you know, that's what happened to me. And so my life now, uh, it looks very different, even though I may have some, uh, I mentioned to you, I'm going through a huge self-awareness, ucky, ooey, I feel raw season. Everybody sees my weaknesses type emotional time, which I'm really excited, excited to talk about too, but, and get raw and vulnerable about, but it's, what simplified it is, um, my perspective shift. Mm -hmm. And so,
1: so on your way down to Mexico, you guys had agreed to separate mm -hmm. and that you were just going to hold it together for -hmm. this last family trip and barely, (laughs) right? Barely. And then (laughs) Ben somehow makes it i mean through like you said all these these angels that you know were able to show up for you um so now ben is back how where's the when is the decision that you guys decide we are going to try to 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 have this family work together and not separately when does that decision happen
0: no, my answer is to that. My answer is to that when we came back, we weren't any better off. We actually stayed silent for a couple of weeks. It was really kind of like, we didn't even know what just happened. And days after that, we even were just the things I actually went outside my front door, like two days after being home and reamed a guy sitting in his truck who I didn't know lived across from me for like five months. Had no clue. I mean, that, that, that's what was going on. Like He was at a black truck sitting in front of my car. I'm in front of my house, you know? So so to, to answer that question, there was so much going on that what we came to the conclusion of is that we don't know, and to this day, I am not gonna tell you, and nor would he, I think, say that we are decided, we're gonna make this relationship work because no one knows how to make a relationship work. What I do know was the shift is that once your perspective is shifted and changed, and if you if your relationship is the problem, if you're part of a partnership and it's it's struggling, you need to ask yourself, is there willing really hearts? Because my struggles with my husband are still gonna be there. He's still gonna have struggles with me. <laughs> I'm still me. <laughs> He's still him. We're shifting little bits of the time. Trauma, programming, life, religion, childhood. It does not change in two and a half years. That's, That's right. only been two and a half years for me, right? And so heck yeah. But I know what I'm doing now for myself. And I know that he is just as willing as I am, even if it's in a completely different perspective realm or space. So, what, what was the perspective
1: really shift? Tell me, tell me how your perspective changed. How did you now see the world?
0: Um, I looked at it more simplified. So, a year after Mexico, I would look back on that now and tell you that for that year after Mexico, we just learned to simplify things. We still had our same struggles, but they were, were, we were able to push through them a little bit more, uh, recognize just what we're both bringing to the table. And then what happened after that was we took another family trip, which this is, I think, the most pivotal moment of my, my personal perspective change, meaning Gen Child. We took our family back out of the country to Jamaica. And we had a wonderful trip, but it was still during COVID. And like I told you, we got quarantined in. A oh my gosh! For eleven days.
1: Oh my gosh! Surveillance.
0: Surveillance. Obviously, we were safe. Not you know, unlike Mexico, we were safe. We were together. It was actually a really bonding time, looking back on it. But it was challenging to be in a room with um, four males for me, and to not be able to get a hold of my clients that I, you know, I was a hair. I'm a hairstylist. I was a hairstylist at the time. Like. I had a very, I had a lot of clients I was missing on and you couldn't leave your room. And that was just like one more, oh, it's almost like it scraped off the middle part of the scab a little bit from you. Yes. Because yes. I'll tell you what, there was three days in that room, Joanna, I spent under my covers in my bed and I specifically asked nobody, do not speak to me. Not one word, unless you need something that I can help you with. Like, I don't want to talk because- I was like, what is happening in my life? And that right there is where the perspective change shifted the most for me. And now I'm seeing my life will start changing even more because at the end of the day, it's up to you. And my perspective, my perspective shift in that hotel or in that hotel room for those many days, not being able to leave that room ever once. And it was a hotel room with no kitchen. just a little bathroom and a microwave with, oh, and mind you, I have I have two adult children at the time and a 13 year old. So I have, and I have big kids. My husband's a tall, big man. So, you know, safe environment, not ideal environment, terrible timing. Did not take it. I actually probably took that one in a different way, but just as hard as Mexico. Cause I just couldn't believe it. And what happened is putting my head under those pillows for that, like that. And sitting there just having every hour of every day, watching the sun come up brighter, 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 go up, down, 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 down. I mean, like time. I do you know somebody who sat in a room for 11 days i sure as hell don't what it did is it made me ask myself jen what the hell are you i thought about myself physically i was a mess i, I had the worst ibs probably because i was so stressed and stressed about so many stupid things i shouldn't even cared about i was i was concerned about things that i couldn't control uh, I was spiritually lost. I I, I I go from one. I went from one thing to another. Especially after those two things happened, I was like, "What is my spiritual well being?" And then let's just not even try to embarrass myself much more. <laughs> the emotional well being uh, was like at a plummet. And I'm not talking about with my family or with my children. I'm talking about just Gen Child, just me. <laughs> like, and that's where my shift came. That's where it ultimately came because I was already starting to kind of do some changing. And I noticed some things, but this is when I really decided to look at my life as if I was on a stick. I had a wow. lot of time on my hands and, wow. I, and I was on a stick. And every time I was on a stick, whether I look at myself from a physical perspective or a spiritual perspective or an emotional perspective, I was like this. <laughs> I mean, I may so, look healthy because I'm 114 pounds and I work out a lot, but let me tell you, physically I wasn't healthy. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Not in any way, shape, or form, to be Mm -hmm. quite honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, Spiritually, no enlightenment, no connection, and emotionally drained. So that that stick theory and and what I love to talk about is where it came.
1: So that that experience in Jamaica in that hotel room, it sounds like that was your dark night of the soul that lasted Mm -hmm. multiple different days. Mm -hmm. Were you... And I mean, I'm just summarizing, but correct me if I'm wrong. Mm. That you just evaluated, you looked inward, and you know, evaluated and assessed your emotional, your physical, your spiritual, your all the aspects of yourself, and you said, Mm. "I don't like what I see."
0: Mm -mm. And those two experiences, Mexico and Jamaica, they taught me one thing: we have no control.
1: Mm. So find things,
0: find things. There now. Let me let me rephrase that. We do have control of ourselves but ultimately in life we don't have control do you know what I mean like I have control here in a minute if I want to pick up and go eat you know eat in my kitchen you know like let's per se but you know like and so that's when I started looking at myself as like Jen what are the things you do have control of and Mm -hmm. I came up with physical spiritual and emotional that's what hit me came to me and that's what I have been working on and I I told you on our last phone call I've I've taken some steps back these last couple months and that's okay you know like Shifts in life kind of do that to you. They do that wet fish slap to your face, and so I have to remember <laughs> that stick theory, you know. And that's what I love talking about is that that stick theory. I, I like to teach people. That. I had a year after Mexico until I retired from behind the chair as a stylist after almost two and a half decades. You know, of being a blessed stylist. I retired, and um, and the reason I retired is because um, not because I didn't love what I did is because I started imbuing the stick theory on my clients. Your phones don't stand. Sorry, they're the Wait, what is it? Sorry, my earphone already falls out. Um, I started imbuing the stick theory onto my clients because remember, I had people who had come to me for twenty plus years, and we were telling we were telling each other the same stories and experiencing the same things. But now I'm shifted, right? And do you know what I mean? So and what? So what I started was it hearing like? Their stories different.
1: You started <laughs> hearing the stories different, and so and then and I started, and started
0: so- teaching them about the stick figure or the stick theory and tuning in on these three subjects with them and they would all be like oh my gosh and then two hours two hours after their appointment or a day after the appointment they would text me and say jen can i just make an appointment with you to um come and kind of do some more like stick theory perspective work and i was like after about three or four months of that i was like wait a minute i think i need to like get out on a mic or something <laughs>
1: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. So- i think i'm you
1: know? Yeah. So let's, let's explain, let's, let's walk, walk us through the stick theory. So first of all, let me just also okay. mention what just kind of summarize what you were talking about too, is, is this realization of, I love what you said, which is we actually don't have any control over most things in life. The only thing we have control over is you know ourselves you know we can control what we think you know we can try and and look at what we think how we're reacting to things what we're physically doing what we're eating what we're spending time doing who we're spending that time with you know our reactions our actions but what what I really see for you and is that instead of like an outward focus you know and and you know focusing on the kids and the husband and you know clients and the world and and what's mm-hmm. wrong with it and you know all of this it's like you had this shift where it was like I'm going to focus on the what I can control and that is what is inside of this skin suit um uh, you know while I'm here as a temporary you being on this earth yeah and I love I that because you know what that is it's it's incredibly empowering when you clearly see what you do and what you do not have control over. And and, and that's and then, where
0: I'm at. I'm at that pivot right there. I'm at that pivot where I can see what I do have, do and don't have control over. Um, because the one thing I do think we actually have control over, like if I want to go do the splits, I may tell my brain I want to do the splits, but I can't make my body do it. So I really don't even have control over my body. I can just try to learn how to do splits, right? Does that make sense? But mm-hmm. what I don't, what I do 100% have control over is the thoughts that rotate and process in this brain that create a narrative that then create a response or a delivery or some type of communication. And then what it does is it sets me on that stick even more in the area. I'm not, it's not functioning for me. Right. And so like some of the examples of, and and let me just go back on the stick theory is I personally just put them into the compartments of physical, spiritual, and emotional. That works for me. I like those Mm -hmm. compartments. Pick your own. You want it to be physical nature or physical religion or, or um, holding space versus emotional welfare, whatever. Pick your three. I like those three. That's what yeah. I stick to. It works really well for me. But what, a, what an example of the stick theory is, is and it can, go in, it can go in your parenting. It can go in your work, your communication. It can go in your relationships. Um, you know, for example, in my relationship, one of us is an over communicator. One of us is an under communicator. One, one of us each sits on the side of that stick and we're trying our hardest, which because that's our biggest struggle in our marriage. We've married 21 years now to get closer to the middle <laughs> and away from those ends that right. we see don't suit us. So you could go into your parenting and I'm, am, am I a helicopter parent? I have been. Am I open-minded parenting? Yes, I am now. Um, I, I and then you start to weigh out where you need to be on the stick. And which end is working for you? Sometimes you mm. are going to be on the extreme side of things, I think. You know, I I am, when it comes to the helicopter parent, I'm going to be a little more on the helicopter parent. You're not going to see Miss Jen Child over here chilling on the chill side of the stick. It ain't happening. Does that make sense? Okay, so then, like, go into relationships. Let's talk about our number one subject that my client's talking about, sex. You you either want a ton of it <laughs> <laughs> or you don't want it. I don't care why. I don't care who. I don't care which one. I don't care if it's boys and boys and girls and girls. I don't care who you are, what you do. There's someone there is that yin and yang. And so, you know, for me, I early on in my marriage when I was having babies and not wanting to um, you know, didn't feel like I wanted to be intimate, didn't want to be intimate, didn't like how I felt, just going through the natural course of life. If you're a parent, if you're a woman and you've had children, you know, I had to make myself have Tuesday and Thursday sex. That was my balance. You know, in my stick, <laughs> I didn't realize mm-hmm. at the time, but that's an example. You know, or having boundaries. I think you and I talked about boundaries the other day. Like, if there's something in your life or a person in your life that is crossing lines for you and it's causing you mayhem or affecting other important relationships in your life, check yourself on your stick. Maybe you could imbue some more boundaries. Those have been something I have to remember every day. That boundary word. Holy cow balls! Mm-hmm. I'm too nice. You know, mm. Mm. what I love, I get in trouble.
1: So the visual of the stick theory, I think
0: mm-hmm.
1: what would help people who are listening to this is the way you explained it to me is like a teeter-totter. So it's like a stick on a teeter-totter. And and on any issue, like whether it's like you said, parenting style or... um or sexuality. What or What have you? Anything. Anything is a is a continuum with two extremes on the other side of the teeter totter.
0: And you're not getting the results you want.
1: Right. And so what you're saying is, can you be open minded and kind of open in general to the idea of exploring, going towards Different the other perspectives? yeah different perspective and and going more towards the center of that teeter totter in the in the middle of the stick as opposed to an extreme
0: and in a more simple way I like to put it for a lot of times is I always tell I always told my I always told my clients this in my last year. it was so impactful how simple it was for me to explain it because it really started changing people's lives. I remember like a mother was having some issues with her uh, a client of mine was a mother and she was having some issues with her daughter and daughter- in-law. they weren't getting along. And she had me like compose a really lengthy email that she was going to send out. Um, I kind of helped her compose it on her behalf. And, um, you know, she was kind of complaining to me and and, and let me know how she was suffering with getting caught in between the daughters and daughter-in-laws. When I started Mm -hmm. using the stick theory on this specific client who was suffering with her daughters and daughter-in-laws, I always found myself using the simple word opposite. Mm Kind of like you said, that teeter-totter. If there's a ball on one end and you you lift it up, it's going to go to the other, you know, it's kind of that, that push and that pull. And so I would, I was encouraging her to do pretty much the opposite of she was in this composed email that I ended up sending her and I, you know, she obviously put into her own wordage a little bit, but you know, and next thing I know a week later, I have a sweet letter in the mail and some flowers from this client who said, my daughter-in-law's all talked and we we're going on a trip. And you know, it was like, that's when it really clicked with me, I was like, this is working for people. It's working for me and let's be honest, Joanna, I'm a hot mess. <laughs> I just have high energy. I'm always a hot mess. It's okay. I'm fine with it. And this is really easy. Even if you're not suffering a lot, the stick theory just helps simplify. Well, Gosh, I think, I too, of it for so part, long ago.
1: part of what you're tapping <laughs> into is that a lot of times people will get very rigid and stuck in their way of mm-hmm. thinking and their beliefs about the world. Like they make a decision. About something, and then they just stay rigid in that belief and in that position,
0: and, it's like we're comfortable being miserable or something,
1: yeah, whether it makes them miserable or it's just neutral or whatever, but they're like, this is my stance on it. I am immovable, and I have always found that if you can stay curious, you know about what is not your position and and not be in this rigid mentality about anything, about anything, and understand- I love that. You know, that there are like- I love that
0: you just said that. I needed to hear that. Thank you. I actually really love how you heard of that.
1: There can be a thousand different perspectives on the same thing. This is a pencil. This is blah, blah. Anybody who's seeing this from a different angle- is going to have a different perspective on this experience, and there is, there truly is no black and white. And people really feel, and 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 there can be certain hot button issues. I know where they're mm-hmm. like, yes, there is black and white, but I can promise you, mm-hmm. not the that ultimatum isn't <laughs> taking that same situation that you think is black and white, but putting different circumstances mm-hmm. around it. Um it could, it could make it, there be some gray area. So it's like, it might be a little more of a charcoal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, I agree.
0: And that's a shift though, because the thing about it is that we, you you have such a good point. We actually do live on the black and white end of the stick. If you want to kind of look at it that way too. A lot of us do. That's just natural. We're, we're programmed. We're, we've been through things. We, have we, we, life is hard for everybody on this globe. We, everybody is struggling period, you know? And it's like, it is so like you saying we get stuck in this rigid spot yeah it's so easy because it's all done subconsciously you know yes and it for some reason this like stick theory it works really well for me where it snaps me out and i i put it into those brackets and listen my marriage is not perfect um we we are both very willing hearts uh unconditionally loving and um you know my children are fine Uh, i i admire the maturity of my boys. I'm really proud of them. And uh, um, they should be most importantly, really proud of themselves. I hope they are. And uh, that was a all, all those experiences were really humbling for us. And I think that's kind of the key to happiness is when you become humbled enough to be so vulnerable and raw, whatever it is that gets you there. I'm sorry if it's something hard. I'm sorry if it's a death. I'm sorry if it's a divorce. I'm sorry if it's uh, kidnapping in Mexico. We're sorry, seven days. I'm sorry if it's, a disease I'm sorry you know we all those are terrible these are all terrible things um but life can be okay if you have a willing heart it will turn mm-hmm. out best if you focus on yourself simplify simplify the chaos
1: <laughs> well and 100 percent. and I think you know when you focus on yourself you you know that is actually what can change what you think you know it, the opposite of focusing on ourselves is is seeing everything wrong with the world and everybody else and how and how external forces are are making are creating our suffering so there's literally flipping that coin and saying there is nothing external to me that is creating my suffering even mm-hmm. if it is my husband being kidnapped, even if it is, you know, in my case, like my mother dying or, you know, the, or, or, or get a divorce or this, tra- like you said, mm-hmm. all these different things, those all are external. That are terrible
0: things. And it, terrible and, and, things.
1: and it's external and, and it's easy as a human to say, these things are happening to me and causing me pain. Mm-hmm. But that is an
0: incredibly
1: powerless place to live.
0: Oh man, it. It's you're you couldn't have said that better. You're right. It is powerless. meaning you've taken you've allowed the power of yourself to be taken away. I always had the saying, like, and this, this this is a big one that was like a wet fish to the face for me. It, <laughs> <laughs> that's a southern thing. We say southern things, but wet fish um, to the face. A wet, a wet a wet fish slap to the face because <laughs> sometimes if you go fishing and you're acting out of hand. you're i don't know (laughs) it's a redneck country thing (laughs) but like you know uh one time i think it was actually my husband told me this and i did not like hearing it from him but he is so right and he said um i kept i said some lines of i'm just not happy i just kept complaining about not being happy and he's like you know what jen that's up to you like no one took your happiness away so no one no one took it from you so find it yourself and it was kind of like that and i was like yeah, you know what? No one gives it to you. No one gives you your happiness. And that is the equal. No one gives it to you. And therefore, that's the stick. No one will take it away. That's right. No one gave me my confidence. I have to find it. If I do or don't have it, it's up to me. And no one's gonna take it away unless I, I let them. You know? So that's kind of like I love that you said that powerless. It's just like it is up to you.
1: This this change in perspective in the way it's happened to you and maybe many other people, it feels like a transition that's almost an initiation, like a a, a transition and an initiation into kind of the mature adult, right? As children, you know, and as adolescents and maybe even as young adults, we can have this perspective of this, the externality of the world and how it's affecting us and dra- taking us and dragging us along for the ride. And then, mm-hmm. and then there's something that hopefully happens. Hopefully, it doesn't take a tra- hopefully. tragedy. Hopefully, but a, yes. a lot of times it is because you need that dark night of the soul, so to speak, to and to 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 establish it. Yes. The the shift exactly, mm-hmm. and this initiation into the ownership, the the self possession of our of the locus of control, you know, and, and don't you think as a I, woman
0: that comes like, I, I don't know your experience, I'll speak myself, but I I have I have to hold I have to watch my kind of like, almost get a little bit low key angry about this, where I'm like, gosh, did I just waste like so much time in my life? freaking, not knowing what I'm just barely yes. figuring out. And, and so I have to like, I actually going back to the one thing I can't control is my thoughts. I can't go down the rabbit hole of why did I just know this like a couple of years ago? Like, yes. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, and you kind of yes. without, like, the panic and it's like, yes. oh, no, it's okay. It's just good enough now. It's just good enough now that I'm it finally is. like getting yeah. that wet fish slapped in my face. <laughs> I, but you know, I, t- I, I,
1: I, I totally know what you're mm-hmm. saying though, too, because I've also felt that anger. I have also felt that anger when you know, kind of going through my um, perimenopausal journey over these last Mm -hmm. few years and like learning about a woman's transition and this initiation Mm -hmm. into her wise woman that I've been going through. And it's like all all of the things that I never learned, like from my mother or my grandmother about being a woman or being a mature woman, I felt like I had been, like all of that had been held from me. That you know, the culture that we live in is not really traditionally where we where we take our young people, men and women, I can only speak for a woman, and we don't initiate mm-hmm. them into womanhood and initiate them into their into their sovereignty and to their and to their their um you know self-love and and exactly um, and self-adoration and this wonderful initiation. Not only is when we become women, you know, we start our menses, but as we as we exit it, I mean these these wonderful, amazing, and, and I thought I was so pissed for a while. Like, why was no? Why did oh, you tell me this? I'm having to learn it myself. And, like, and you know
0: what? The thing about it is that there is women that could have told us this, and that's you hit a point. You made me think of something to go. And again, don't get me wrong. I love my good old classy women on the world. Like I love me no nothing more than a good old um, 1950s classy woman teaching me a bunch of stuff. But I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm raising some adult children. I'm, first, I'm not raising adult children. They're on their own now, but I have raised children up to adulthood, and I'm not Mrs. Know It All. But we are outdated on how women should be, how men should be, how we parent. Um, there's just so much change globally. That we really need to redefine like our traditions and our values, and those are personal. You know what I mean. So it's mm-hmm. like you go, talk, you're talking about like, this, you know, all, all these things that women didn't learn, and you and I go into this guilt. Like, did we just waste our whole life? Like yeah. my 20s or 30s. I'm right. Like, Wait a minute. Had I known, even if I was still having children, like I was, had I known how to even intimately handle my body I would have probably liked sex so much more but I didn't because it was me it wasn't my husband it was me mm-hmm. you know what I mean and it's like just that infuriated me now I'm not wasting time right because thank god I'm so into my husband still but do you know what I mean um but it's that or like I even do. just the emotional warfare I've gone through like I thought that way that hurt my feelings or even like spiritually i'm now just more of a spiritual leader like for those who and how you want to believe i love hearing it and i have no opinion on anybody but for myself i i just spiritually enlightened and that involves a lot of things um but um you know it's like i just think we need a a, a, a revamp like where's that red button you know um and, and the way i'm doing it for myself is just what i talked to you about over the last hour and It it isn't giving me five steps forward every day, but it's giving me about five steps forward and then about every fifteen I might take a two back.
1: That's right. No, and that's life. That's three or four back.
0: I don't know. Yeah.
1: That that's it though, Jen. I mean, it is. It's a it's kind of an upward spiral and sometimes we we revert back, we step back, but as long you know, we're on this kind of upward path and it's not a straight linear line, you know? And um, I wish. <laughs> but I think, you know, being open to a new way of being and a new way of thinking and new perspectives and changing your position on the stick and evaluating things from an open-minded and curious position ultimately is rendering you, every time you are flexing that muscle and practicing that practice, you are building strength and you're building muscle, muscle memory, Mm -hmm. 100%, spiritual, emotional, Mm -hmm. and and physical muscle memory. And that's all we can do. And we got to celebrate the fact that we're, we're awakening, you know, anew, you know, and Mm -hmm. I'm excited about You know, I'm very aware, you know, I started this podcast and, you know, the theme is a good day to die because I am so Mm. like acutely aware of how precious this temporary time we have on this planet is in this particular skin suit, in this particular, you know, way. It's so precious. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm really trying to, to take the opportunity each day to have, have conversations that need to be had with people that are interested in those types of things and mm-hmm. learning and growing and staying curious and not stuck. And, mm-hmm. and by, by, by taking personal responsibility and living out loud in that way, I just, I just hope that that energetic field extends, you know, outward and touches other people. And your
0: vibrancy goes higher. You know what I yeah. mean? Instead of a lower vibrancy and a higher one. Yes. I, I just, I just want to be part. I think there is kind of a reset button going across the world right now. I yeah. think you probably see it as much as I do. And, you know, I worked with so many people and a different person every hour for so many years. And everybody's hour that I got with that person was their worst problems being expressed at that time. And, and what a blessing for me to be around so many vulnerable people. But I think the world globally, globally is um, revamping itself right now. And I wanna be part of the wave, the tsunami wave that's coming in, teaching people, um, you know, we're talking about being stuck. It's okay to be stuck. I'm a little stuck right now. I, I haven't been stuck in the last six months. I'm a little stuck right now, but it's okay. Like, but what it is, is just the mere shift of that of perspective. Because how many times, Joanna, have you been crying to somebody or pleading your heart to somebody, and you're like, I just am doing my best. and I don't know what more I can do. Like, I'm not seeing anything. That's why I have been to that wall a million times. I'm going to come to that wall again a million more times, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But this time I have a stick theory and it pops me right out of that. Sometimes I'm not responsible enough to use the stick theory and I catch myself in a narrative and responding poorly and communicating terribly. And instead of being curious, I'm furious because you know, that model is awesome. Be curious, not furious. I, a lot of times I'm furious, not furious. So (laughs) you know what I'm saying? But once I, just ask myself that question like a stop drop and roll. Where you at on the stick, girl? You know? It it's like it's like a visual in my mind. I know exactly where I'm at. I just
1: mm-hmm. have to decide if I'm
0: gonna remove the shame, if I'm gonna remove the shame, become humble and vulnerable enough and 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 let that shift happen and not let shame and pride Ooh. and stubbornness get in the way. And so that stick theory has and is going to be continually changing my life <laughs> the rest of my life.
1: I love <laughs> so, it yeah, well, I really just appreciate you sharing such a vulnerable story with me and whoever listens to this. Um, I think we were drawn together to for a reason. and um, you know, having having more people in my life that you know, are experiencing these transitions and these initiations is is mm-hmm. it helps me, you know um ditto girl
0: ditto i'm you helped me too and i'm grateful for this time we like to talk about it a lot you know because people stopped talking a lot a long time ago people stopped talking about vulnerable uncomfortable things Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and now the ripple effect is showing through our youth yeah and that's where you caught me off guard i can't let my kids i can't let them think the way i did Mm i want to let them live their own lives and teach how to shift their perspective as needed and, and, and um, no limits. You know?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, again, I thank you so much. You're amazing girl. Oh, honey. Thank you.
0: I I'm grateful for our mutual friends that connected us.
1: I know we both both know how
0: equally awesome they are. You know, what a blessing I've had so many people I've been blessed by so many people because of our dear friends. So Mm -hmm. uh, you're another one. And um, yeah, thank you.
1: All right, me dear, you have a good Thank rest you of too. your day, and I will talk to you soon. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Jen Child and found it interesting and helpful. If you did, please feel free to like the episode, um, rate the episode, follow me on Spotify or YouTube, um, share with a friend if you feel it can be helpful or impactful on their life. And as always, try and make every day a good day to die.